Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Liz Loza, back from Super Bowl 56 and joined by Scott Pianowski for a deep dive recap into how the Rams won it all. Scott, how are you? Where, first of all, where did you watch the game? What did you eat while you were watching the game? And how many stars did you give that fire halftime show below 10, not an option? I don't know. I'm going to have great, exciting answers for any of those things. Just watch it at home uh, with my girlfriend and my dog. I uh, had a couple of salami and cheese sandwiches, which is kind of my go-to for the Super Bowl. And I spent halftime. Don't let I hate me down saying here. This. I'm going to let you down here. Uh-huh. I spent halftime trying to figure out how to officiate a playoff contest I was running where like seven or eight people didn't read the rules and put in the legal lineups. And I still haven't figured out how I'm going to deal with that. And I'm sure whatever I decide, people are going to be mad at me. But read the friggin' rules. It, it, bottom line is this. Okay, look, we're in the fantasy game. We want people to play fantasy. But every fantasy commissioner job turns into adventures and babysitting, and this league was no different. I am very disappointed that you had to parent through the halftime show. I was la- uh, very thankful that uh, my kids could not see me dropping it like it was hot and like I was back in the 90s <laughs> during the halftime show. The Andre Young coaching tree was on full display, and I could not, as an elder millennial, have been happier. Um, all right, so let's, let's get talk, to let's the Let's talk game. halftime show. Let's, let's, uh, let's talk historical because I can't really speak to yesterday. A lot of people point to Prince as being the best halftime performer of all time. My, my personal favorite, and I'm not, I'm not going to say this has to be everybody's right answer. It's my right answer, is the year U2 played, which was uh, the Patriots-Rams, uh, the first Patriot championship. It was a few months after 9-11. I thought U2 was amazing. So that's my favorite halftime show of all time. Do you have a what's the number one in the Liz Loza halftime shows? Is it up with people maybe back in 1978 or what are we going with? <laughs> no. Um, actually, this is maybe a little nostalgic for me, but it was a recent one. I was at the game in Miami when JLo and Shakira took the roof off. I mean, I guess there isn't a roof <laughs> on the stadium, but like. To me, it was historical. Two Latinas for the first time in Super Bowl history headlining the event. Um, personally, because it was the first Super Bowl live I had ever been to. I'd worked a media week before, but not been at the game. Uh, that was incredibly special. But also, it was just really, really empowering, frankly. And I know people might roll their eyes at that to see, like, two strong women, both mothers, like, crushing it. Two Latinas. And, like, I, they were absolutely flawless in their performances, as was Mary J. Blige. 
uh, yesterday, but I, I think that was the one. I just, I really like, you know what I've discovered, Scott? Like, we're going to get in the game, and I think this is actually a nice segue. Like, we have lived through a weird two years, and I don't want to attach an adjective that connotes anything else other than abnormality to that, because I don't want people to think I'm coloring it in any sort of way, since everything's always polarized and politicized these days, but it's been a weird two years, and I have to say, being out among people felt odd. It didn't feel necessarily wonderful. There was some anxiety. There was also like everyone kind of coming together again. There was It's a transitional period. But what I did find incredibly fulfilling was seeing people try at things, like seeing people give a about stuff like pride in work. And maybe those are old puritanical values. And I'm sure there's a tweet thread about all of that, what all of that means in society. But like, that's what I felt when I watched J-Lo and Shakira out there. They like cared, they tried, they gave it their all. That's what I felt also with this Super Bowl matchup with these, as we mentioned before we got on um, and started recording, like the two lowest seeded teams to play in a Super Bowl. Like this felt like a rebuilding game because it felt like and some might say that the Rams were built to win in this very narrow window, and maybe that's not as uplifting as the almost Cinderella story that the Bengals pulled off. But it was just really lovely as a human, like waking up this morning after a magical and hardworking week and day to think like, God damn, I love to see people try hard. I love to see people work for a goal. And it's not perfect, but it is really affirming. Well said. You know, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. I, there's something about community. There's something about we, we're talking about the halftime shows, the healing power of music. The first thing I did after being locked down by the pandemic, the first actual get out among people thing that I did is I went to Atlanta and visited my friend Don and saw my friend Steve, his band. He plays in a Black Rose cover band called the Americans, who are fantastic. And uh, we went last May, saw them rip it up for two days. And then I spent some time with my dad, which uh, turned out to be, you know, very important because, you know, we didn't have them for that much longer. I didn't know it at the time. But um, what brought me back into the public was my friends, was music and just the, the communal power of that. And, you know, the Super Bowl is something that we all share in the same moment. You know, I mean, you're at the game. I'm watching on TV, but everybody's following the game on Twitter, social media. There's all sorts of text threads going on with with your friends and stuff. And it's it's an American, a very American thing. It's like a holiday for us. And we saw an exciting game. And I love the fact I would have been fine if the Bengals won. I had more Bengals interest than Rams interest on my betting tickets. But um, yeah, I, I want to see an interesting game. I want to see a good game. I want to see a game that felt valid and legitimate. I think we got that. Certainly there's some controversy. I don't think any close football game is, is free from controversy. But at the end of the day, Cooper Cup MVP puts his period on, I think, the greatest receiving season of all time. And who was blowing up the final two plays? Aaron Donald, who's one of the best defensive players we've ever seen. Yeah, maybe he was offsides on that final snap. It's, it's, it's hard to say. I didn't get a good look at it. But, and again, there is officiating we're going to have to talk about. But the Rams, you know, they get their coronation. Sean McVay gets his championship. Now Matthew Stafford's an MVP. I'm sorry, a, a Hall of Fame discussion, you know, with a few more years to run in his career. Again, though, to me, just sharing this, having this American holiday, having it go out without a hitch, uh, is all great. Um, you know, the halftime show, I, which I'll have to check out when I get a chance, you know, it's been well received by most of the people I've talked to. So I'm excited about that. And again, just watching cup, you know, put the exclamation point on his season, watching Aaron Donald add to his legacy. 
I, I know it's fun when Cinderella's do things. And I look, I'm all in on the Bengals. I, I will buy stock on Joey Burrow. He's eventually going to have an offensive line. Look at those receivers he's working with. But it felt like Cooper Cup owned this season in a lot of ways. I thought he could have won the MVP for the regular season. And so for him to finally say, hey, you know, this was my year. I just had the best receiving year of all time. Sorry, Jerry Rice. Sorry, Larry Fitzgerald. It's Cooper Cup now. Uh, I don't know. There's something about that that feels poetic and just to me. It, it just it seems to fit. It also is interesting that this Rams team was, as I mentioned, like built to win for a very specific, very narrow, frankly, window with the Vaughn Miller, Matt Stafford, OBJ, Sony Michelle acquisitions like these. Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey, if you want to go back a couple of years, right? But even specifically built for the 2021 season. And, you know, the front office and Sean McVay did an excellent job of finding these vets who still had some upside, who still had some, if you got enough of them together, you know, it's like the upside down or the antithetical of what the Miami Dolphins front office has done year after year, like paying these bloated contracts to washed vets. But like the Rams were able to tweak it. And it probably helps that you're coming to Los Angeles where there might be other ways to grow your brand personally for these athletes. But still in all of that, it's Cooper Cup, the homegrown talent who actually puts the team in many ways on his back throughout the season and in the final moments. Like, let's not forget Robert Woods exited in November with the ACL tear. And then OBJ in the second quarter tweaks his knee. Matt Stafford throws behind him. He tweaks his knee. You saw all of the players, including the Bengals players, get down on one knee. Looking in the stands, we knew it wasn't good. We looked at the tape, knew it was the left knee. That's obviously problematic. Turns out now that it's looking to be, per Monday morning reporting, a torn ACL as well. Um, I will say tangentially, I spoke to Robert Woods in the post-game presser, and he said that immediately, and this is just karmic and synchronistic, um, he went to OBJ uh, in the locker room and, quote, held him. He said, I held him, and I just told him that he I was there for him. And it's so ironic because, remember, Robert Woods tore his ACL like the day OBJ joined practice mm -hmm. for the first time. Same and way. now there's this full circle moment where, Robert Woods, I mean, I'm getting chills talking about it, is holding, embracing OBJ quietly in the corner, and they all know what's going on, and yet they end up winning the Super Bowl, and, and there is a little bit more, because um, I think it's easy to paint this team as like a machine, like a cog in a, you know, they put a lot of cogs in a wheel to win, but when you hear about those moments, there is a little bit, uh, something more to use your word poetic about them, and also the fact that after OBJ left the game, like Cooper Cup, you know, the offense sputtered, McVay said as much, like the offense sputtered, the defense kept putting up stops to get, to keep the offense in the game, Matt Stafford was clearly a little bit tilted not having OBJ in the field. Van Jefferson dealing with a foot injury that he suffered at the NFC Conference Championship game two weeks prior. Not the route runner or the player by any means that OBJ is. Um, the offense was having some trouble getting back on, on track. And yet, at the end of the day, it was Cooper Cup. It was the breakfast squad. It was Wit and Staff and Cup that came together and did the thing that all of the, you know, extra little offensive pieces weren't present for, which I, I I thought was a lot more meaningful than I think is being painted. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm glad Beckham got the, the first touchdown and man, he looked like he was headed for a monster game. And I feel bad for anybody who, who had props on Beckham because he would have smashed them if he had played that full game. I don't think the Bengals had any way to, to match his speed. And when you throw 
Cup and Beckham at a, at a defense, you really put them in an awful conflict because there's just really no right way to cover those guys. It was just fun to see. I mean, Beckham and the Browns was always a bad marriage. They, they never, he could never get on the same page with Stefanski. He certainly couldn't get on the same page with Baker Mayfield. And so it was just fun to see Beckham rehabilitate his career and his reputation and, you know, heading into a free agency season, you know, now he'll probably have to take some kind of pillow contract, but still, I'm just hoping he goes to another fun offense. I'd love to see him in Kansas city, which has been one of the rumored destinations. Maybe the Rams can find a way to run it back again, although they're going to have some financial problems making things fit, but it was just, you know, Beckham for a guy who came into the league and was a star right away. He was part of that 2014 rookie class that changed the rules. There used to be in fantasy, don't draft a rookie receiver. It's like to make a sucker play going. And that 2014 class totally changed that narrative. And, you know, you know, back it up to this year, Jamar Chase was unbelievable as a rookie. Couldn't catch the ball in the preseason, but man, he caught it pretty well in the regular season. Beckham was part of that class. It's just fun to see him doing Beckham things again, you know, I, and to see him get hurt. We, we know we're, we're not doctors, but you see that non-contact injury, you immediately fear the worst. And it sounds like it, it's, it's coming to roost. I'm just glad he had an impact on the game and he, he feels like he had a part in that championship and you know, he played so well in the playoffs. It was just fun to see him spreading his wings again. And, and also, you know, as somebody who, who grew up, at, uh, I grew up in new England, but I've lived in Michigan for over 20 years now. It was just cool to see Matt Stafford around a team that can support him. You know, I mean, in Detroit, if you get to the playoffs, it's a win. That's a that's an unbelievable season. They should build statues for you. But it was just fun to see Matthew Stafford in a relationship where he had better coaching and he had better blocking and he had better receiving and such an easy guy to root for, uh, such an easy guy to like. And um, you know, I, again, if the if the Bengals had won, I'd be thrilled for them. And and I guess wearing an Auburn Tigers hat, it's almost like kind of like unofficial Cincinnati Bengals colors. But uh, it's really more of a nod to my dad and the Bengals. But take it any way you want to. But you got to be happy for Matthew Stafford, too, who I think is a very likable guy. And I just was happy to see him finally in an organization that could fully support him because the Lions really didn't have those pieces. No, it was definitely a it's been a good year so far for Georgia Bulldog fans, right? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, shout out to my friend Don Port, a big Georgia guy who's, who's still on a high from from them dismantling uh, Alabama. And it's funny, you know, I know we have to talk about the officiating. When I think about that Georgia-Alabama game, one of the things I liked about that game so much is that they had a number of hits on quarterbacks as they were releasing the ball. And my mind was just waiting for the flag to come down because they protect quarterbacks so much. And they let them play. And I, and I like that. And I can't get away from the Super Bowl. I it's I hate thinking like this, but I felt like they let them play for three hours. I know the T. Higgins touchdown could have come back. I get it. But we had a very controversy-free game as far as officiating goes for such a long time. And then we just had a sea of flags in the final two minutes. And then there are even maybe infractions that weren't called on, the, you know, the Rams may have been offsides on a play or, you know, the offensive lineman had false started. Maybe Donald was offsides on that final defensive snap. I, I wish we, I think, I don't think there's anything nefarious here. I think the officials try to stay out of the way in the playoffs. I think they should officiate that way all the time. I just wish we didn't have to go back and look at I, was was Cup really interfered with on the third down? I think that's a play on. I think that's a no no call. But I don't know. For three hours, I thought they got it right. For about ten minutes, I thought they really got it wrong. Well, they didn't they didn't let it go. And the you know the offsetting uh, holding on the offense and personal foul on the defense towards the end was interesting. That also was like another shot, another chance. And I frankly thought, I mean, that was a pretty hard hit on on Cup. I thought he might be seeing birdies when he was going in and might not be able to be as precise or sure. crisp as, as he was. 
it did feel, and I will say, like, even in the stands, we were like, what? The whole conversation that we were all having in our, you know, among our our, our squad, like our, our crew, our Yahoo crew was like, wow, like, they're really letting them play. Like, this is great. They've taken the note, exactly what you're saying. And then, you know, the last two minutes, minute and a half, um, all of a sudden, there's laundry all over the field. And it did feel, and producer John mentioned this as well, so, you know, it's, it's certainly a, a prevailing thought. Um as though we know who the Bengals kicker is and we know what a great storyline that's been and we know that Jamar Chase up the sideline is a thing that can happen and did. And if Burrow can just get into a field goal range, we could go into overtime. And that is something we all wanted. And I really did, it really did feel like that was maybe an impetus uh, for some of the flags. Now, I never want to say that there is anything nefarious and the game does move incredibly fast. And I agree with you that the officiating crew is trying to do the very best they can. You have no idea how fast it it, it happens. Like I, you close your eyes and all of a sudden the game is over. Even in those last few minutes where it feels like it's also going on so long, it does feel fast in real life. Um, so... It would have been pretty interesting to see 15 more minutes, especially from a Bengals team that was incredibly good at going to overtime. There was a prop, in fact, uh, on whether or not this uh, this game would go into an extra quarter. So I will say that you're right. It's disappointing that we have to like have that conversation now. But it shouldn't take anything away from the Rams because, again, noting the personal foul on Cooper Cup, he did his thing, and they were certainly deficient at key spots. Tyler Higby also being out. We should talk about that. And so I definitely believe they earned it and won it fairly. For, I mean, they're, they're legitimate champions, and I'm, I'm never going to say anything that's contrary to that. And I, I can't help but underscore one point. When the Rams had that fourth down in their own territory in that final drive, they ran that exotic run to Cooper Cup, seven-yard run. They convert. And, and, you know, man, on a day where they couldn't get anything going, right? I mean, Cam, Cam Akers was running in... in in mud, they didn't use Michelle a lot. Got Henderson going a little bit, but they went to Cup right when when the game was on the line. They went to Cup. Yeah, on a couple of key possessions for the Bengals when they really needed a yard or two, push came to shove. Why is Samaj P Ryan? Your Ryan, answer? Yes. I, I need to know. I don't know. Did something happen to Mixon? You've got. I'm. I'm even fine if you want to do something with Burrow you know, on the run. I'm okay with that. You have Chase. You have Higgins. You have Tyler Boyd. I, any of these guys, Uz- Uzuma. Why is Samaj P. Ryan the guy who's defining your season? I don't under. And again, maybe something, maybe Mixon wasn't available. I don't know about that. I, I haven't heard anything about that. But that to me is crazy. I, at least the Rams, if they were going to go down on that fourth down, at least they were going to go down with Cooper Cup, the best player in football in 2021 slash 22. They were going to die with their best player. And for some reason, the Bengals wanted to go down with Samaj P. Ryan. And I, I, on a couple of key snaps, they did that. And look, Samaji P. Ryan's an NFL player. He belongs in the league, but I don't I don't see he's a journeyman. He's bounced around. I've never seen anything special about him. And this is an offense with playmakers on it. I, I just I'll never understand that. Well, I mean, it worked two weeks before, right? Like caught a pass for a touchdown and maybe Zach every Taylor, chief could have tackled him. He, he ran through like 17 yeah. Kansas City Chiefs on that play. Yeah. You know, so there might have been some recency bias. He also was in close range, and maybe Zach Taylor thought he was going to be unpredictable by being predictable uh, with that sort of running back. I did think it was interesting to see Zach Taylor open the game, of course, from the Sean McVay coaching tree with a little uh, with a little trickery, Mixon passing the ball, obviously, to T. Higgins. And then when McVay tried his trickery, Daryl Henderson throwing the uh, handing the ball to Cooper Cup and Cooper Cup trying to find Matt Stafford. It was incomplete. Matt Stafford couldn't convert on it. Um, That's 
that play worked. That cup cup just just kind of shanked the throw. That yeah, play was yeah. there. Stafford was wide open. Um, you, now, granted, I think the, to make that play work, it's going to be an accurate throw. Matt Stafford's not going to, you know, probably do anything athletic as a receiver. But Cup just didn't make, and I think Cup may have been a quarterback at one point. I know he's a coach's son, but um, that the play, the design worked. It's just Cup didn't make a good throw on that play. But um, a little nod back to Philly special, which is still. Man, how did Tom Brady throw for five oh five in a Super Bowl? Never punt and lose, but <laughs> but some I don't know. Everybody's sick of Tom Brady. By the way, Tom Brady in the 49ers? Yeah, who who says no to that one? I'm I'm kind of hoping that something oh. comes to that. Oh, I mean, or, you, or you just had it with Brady. What was your takeaway in the Brady retirement? Oh, I mean, I I think that he, it's fine for him to retire. He's had an incredible career. Like I don't mind him retiring. I don't think he needs to be out there. I get nervous when he's out there too because. I kind of like that Seinfeld thought, like, you got to go out on top. You got to go out while before you're washed. Like, you don't want to be the person who's, like, at the end of it going out or replaced. Oh, my God, how embarrassing would it be for Tom Brady to, like, get hit, hurt, and then some young guy behind him, uh, like, a la Bledsoe or something. Uh, That wouldn't be great for his legacy. So, I think, you know, leave Yeah, plus also – the NFL, right, you're you're one shot. We we saw it with Beckham in non-contact, but – the NFL, you're always one play away from being forced out of the league, uh, of not of your own volition. I mean, uh, you know, after the Patriots beat the Rams, I'm not trying to just to derail us into a Tom Brady discussion, but you know, after they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl, I thought, good time to get out. After they lost to the Eagles in the Super Bowl, I thought, this would be a fine time to get out. After they won the Super Bowl last year in Tampa Bay, I thought, yay, you know, do the John Elway right off into the sunset you know, during the championship, you still got your health, you still got your good looks, you got a family, you know, all that stuff. So I, I don't begrudge anybody, you know, when Grock retired at a, at a tender age, and obviously he's since come back, I thought good for you, you know, you've saved your money, you're ready, you, you can live off your name and, and your personality for the rest of your life. So I'm, I'm never, the bottom line is, I, I think we all want to see players have agency in their careers. And whenever a player can make a decision on their terms, they're the ones who have the choice and they're doing what they think is best for them. I, I always feel good about that. So I don't think we all do. I wouldn't say we. There's plenty of people who don't like to. I mean, you know, God forbid a, a reporter's son doesn't want to keep Julio Jones as his screensaver anymore. But now we're we're way off track. Um, so let, let's get back on. I feel like we've got we got. um Knocked down off track excitedly, much like Joe Burrow did yesterday, sacked seven times, mm, seven um, times. which was a super tied an unfortunate Super Bowl record. Roger Stallback was the quarterback, all most sacked quarterback in a Super Bowl dating back to Super Bowl 10. So I'm sure Joe Burrow not feeling, uh, I will say, you know, in the postgame presser, he walked away walking rather gingerly, like the uh, what 70 plus sacks I think he took on the entire season, including the regular season and the postseason together, uh, definitely took their toll on him physically for the minute. I don't think any long-term damage, but he certainly was walking a little gingerly. Um, one of our one of the one shots, of one of the shots got him in the in the lower, maybe the shin or the the ankle or, or the foot or something like that. I, the thing I love about Burrow is he never looks frazzled from it. He never Ever. looks spooked by it. Scott never. When they were coming out of, the, I have to say this: like coming out of the tunnel. Matt Stafford looked like he was going to barf. Like, and I'm not projecting. He looked nervous. This game was the Rams to lose. It was Matt Stafford's to lose. He did not want the golf comparison. He looked absolutely sick. He lo- And Joe Burrow came out without his helmet, his hair perfectly coiffed, those steely blue eyes, shooting laser beams. He came out to the um, Welcome to the Jungle and that opening guitar riff like the f***ing crowd went nuts. It Nothing was better. Hootay was like out... And I thought, I was like, oh, my God, they're going to do it. This is 
unbelievable. Even in the coin toss, Matt Stafford looked like a damn dweeb with his helmet on, and you've got Joe Burrow looking like a f***ing Avenger. It was absolutely wild, and I did find myself, live in Los Angeles, have Rams season tickets, disappointed when the game ended with Joe Burrow being sacked. I even watched that game I've, listen, I've, I've been to Ohio like twice. Like I'm, I'm from the Midwest, but like I don't have any Ohio connects, but have like learned to root for this team. And just the like magic, the extra, the inexplicable-ish vibes, I guess, that they were bringing really came to life. And instead of thinking like, wow, Aaron Donald is a beast, I personally thought, oh, damn it for Joe Burrow. Yeah, a couple of things there. First of all, I didn't realize we could swear on this podcast. I've missed we can't, all sorts of. But gr- it's the day after the Super Bowl, and I've worked a well, lot. I've missed so all sorts go. of opportunities during the season um, with my PG thirteen or even rated <laughs> PG talk. But uh, Joe Posnanski, the great sports writer, talked about Joe Burrow a few weeks ago, and he said there's some athletes with their skill and with their likability. You just you you almost want to be their friend as much as you want to root for them, and you can't imagine anybody rooting against them. Like he he's mentioned Steph Curry, he mentioned Patrick Mahomes. And I think Joe Burrow is one of those players that you I can't imagine anybody who looks at the Joe Burrow story and doesn't feel like I like that guy. I want to root for that guy. And the go back if you if you can. I'm sure you can find it probably on YouTube. The Heisman speech he gave was so grateful and so human. And he won me over for life after that. And and I wonder if his experience right winning a championship at LSU. I wonder if you know, being in that moment, you know, how much pressure there is in an NCAA championship game or you know in a high pressure bowl game. Not that Stafford didn't play, you know, big high-level football at Georgia, but because Burrow had played for all the marbles before, I wonder if maybe that made him more relaxed when this game started and the stuff that you observed. But I, I just think Joe Burrow's super easy to root for, and now it's incumbent on the Bengals. They have now the Rams, as you said, they went all in on this year, and now they have to pay the tax on that and make some tough decisions. The Bengals have all sorts of resources, okay? They hit that fork in the road last year in the draft. Do we take the lineman? Do we take Jamar Chase? Well, they went with the toy. They took Jamar Chase. He was fantastic. Offensive rookie of the year, deservedly so. You know, everybody can see what a home run pick that was. Now it's time to build the fortress, right? Now it's time. It's like the irony of Andrew Luck, right? When he finally retired, it's when the Colts finally had an offensive line that could protect him. But but Luck had been so beat up, he didn't want to play football anymore. And again, you got out on his own terms, but, you know, hobbled away from the game. Now the Bengals need to do everything they can. It'll probably have to be during free agency, but they get to throw all their money into the offensive line and protect this guy. Because if they can, we know quarterback, most important position in sports. And if you have continuity on offense, that's how you can contend. You know, I mean, I know the Chiefs are probably disappointed to only be sitting on one championship, but they've been in what four AFC championship games under Patrick Mahomes. The Bills are going to be great for a bunch of years with what they have. Josh Allen's turned into one of the best players in the league. The Bengals can be at this table. They can be one of the kingpins in the AFC and one of the three or four primary contenders if they protect their franchise quarterback. So as soon as free agency starts, I know it's not sexy when some team signs a guard or a tackle or a center or you know a second tight end or whatever it is, but I hope the Bengals throw a bunch of money. It's pretty obvious. I think they will. You've got your franchise quarterback. You've got your star receivers. You've even got a tailback who's going to probably be really good for a couple more years anyway. We never know with offense, with running backs, but it's time to get the offensive line and, you know, let, let's go after this for the next four or five years. Let's go after it and let's work on the chemistry early. You know, we saw the Chiefs after they lost to the Bucks last year start to address some of the O-line issues. And it took a minute for the unit to find cohesion, but it got there. So I think, you know, we, we all know what the answer is, but I don't always think that with 
O-line gelling, it's as easy as putting in players who look great on a stat sheet. Um, so hopefully there'll be some push to get the right players and build rapport immediately. You said it, you can't not root for Joe Burrow. So I think anybody who's joining the squad on either side of the ball, frankly, is going to be all in because he has all of those, as trite as it may sound, leadership qualities. You, you know, you mentioned the tailback, Joe Mixon. I think he's been a little bit forgotten in this. The Rams could not run the ball. My goodness, they averaged below 1.9 yards per carry, an absolute mess. Daryl Henderson was interesting to see back, and it, he was he flashed in a couple of places, but Akers has been horribly inefficient despite the incredible comeback story from the Achilles down the uh, stretch in the postseason here. Um, but the Bengals... You know, you mentioned P. Ryan. Let's just set that aside. But I, I said Joe Mixon had a day. His dual threat ability was fully showcased. And he really did up the middle, around the edge, um, through tacklers, gaining yak, gate, was able to establish a rhythm and a foundation that helped Joe Burrow get time behind the O-line and find his receivers. And I, I think he deserves some real, real kudos here. For sure. He may land in fantasy's first round next year because, again, he's tied to a great offense. He oddly didn't score in this game. I, th I thought Burrow to score a touchdown was a pretty good prop. It was around even money. But if you bet on him for any of the yardage stuff, a lot of people, my man John Greco, uh, one of them thought Burrow, uh, thought that, I'm sorry, Bixon would, would beat his receiving prop, which he did easily. And when you can't protect your quarterback, that's what do you want? You want quick throws, maybe get the screen game going, right? Those are things that you try to do when you're worried about a pass rush. Mixon was very effective as a receiver. He's close. You know, we're at the point, it used to be that 30 was the dangerous age for running backs, but now the talent comes into the league quicker. So now that's maybe 28, maybe it's 27. Mixon's getting really close to that dangerous area, but I think he's got at least one more signature season in front of him and tied to this offense tied to burrow chase and higgins and all the rest of those guys he's gonna fall in the end even if he has a mediocre season i think as long as mixing can play most of the games he's gonna fall in the end zone 10 12 times that that's probably his over under for touchdowns assuming he doesn't have a major injury i would think this has to be double digits right now so to me he looks like a first round pick and this again this bengals offense arrow pointed up burrow was quarterback eight this year i'm gonna rank him higher than that for next season, for sure. What are you doing with Cam Akers next year? You know, I thought the expectations were too high when he came back, and I'm not surprised that he was sluggish. And I think maybe, we'll, we'll see what happens come summer, but I think in early drafts, he may be actually a bargain as people are like, oh, well, he came back and didn't do anything. It's an Achilles injury. It's a, it, The fact that he actually got on a football field and played meaningful snaps, I think the Rams overused him. I don't understand why they didn't go more to some of their other guys. I thought Michelle should have played more in that game, but... I think he may be now kind of a sneaky value. Now, generally the rule of thumb with major injuries is you want the second year back, right? I mean, we, we saw that with um, Dalvin Cook, right? The second year off the off the blowout is usually the, the best year to come in. But I think there might be a little bit too much recency. I think people expected too much when Akers came back and, you know, he didn't do much in the playoffs. I think it may lead to a temporary discount in the early ADP season. And then, of course, people will be like, oh, wow, uh, Akers is going a half round too late, and then that will get fixed. And then, you know, come summer, he'll probably be priced yeah. where he should be. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm excited. Look, they, they think he's a feature back. They think he might be a bell cow. I still, I still think he's a very bright future in this league, and I'm not going to hold anything I saw over the last month against him. Cooper Cup, from a fantasy perspective, probably overall pick number three behind Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry. In terms of consensus ADP? 
to me, it's a two man, it's a Taylor and Cup race, I, and I, I'm going to move Henry. Oh, with the 101 to the next group. Yeah, I, I would take one of them. I'd probably take Taylor first and Cup second, but I wouldn't talk anybody out of Cup. Look, we know you can't just say regression because you just had the best receiving season of all time. You can't just say regression and leave the room. It has to be regression to what? But as long as, uh, you know, this whispering of McVeigh taking a step away from football, as long as that doesn't come to roost. Oh, come on. As long on. as Stafford's is, fine. Can we talk about that for a second? Oh, he's going to get sure. married this summer. Great. I mean, I had a baby and came back to work eight weeks later. That's a bigger event than getting married. Give me a flipping break. He's obviously just giving himself, probably because he understands that the math and the contracts that he has to work out is going to be a little head scratching. He's giving himself some wiggle room. He's buying himself some time. He's not, he's doing the opposite of what all the old heads did and said like, we're going to come back for two. This is a repeat. Nah, man, live in the moment and be like, have it. And then, you know, if you downplay it, Manage the expectations. Do what Jason Klobaca does for us all the time. Manage expectations. Oh, the great man, Jason Klobaca. Glad, glad to hear his name on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no reason to think that you know Stafford and McVay don't run it back. And um, Cup, the thing with Cup is if they had a way to stop him because Woods got hurt, it, Beckham, it took a while for Beckham to really become integrated in this offense, they never had a great third option. They didn't really know what to do with Deshaun Jackson. As you said, Jefferson, and congratulations, they just had a kid. Yeah. Uh, but he was kind of a hit or miss guy, not really somebody they could rely on. Tyler Higbee was was up and down, wasn't available in the Super Bowl, of course. So if there was a way to stop Cup, Cup was the prime. Every team that played the Rams for the final three months of the regular season and the, and the whole playoffs, Cooper Cup was priority one, and, and nobody figured it out. So... I think Cup has to be easily the the number one receiver on everybody's board next year. And I, again, I if you want to pick him first, I'm fine with it. If I had the number two pick and Jonathan Taylor just went, I, I would hit Cooper Cup immediately. And I would, to me, Derrick Henry just makes me nervous. He's just getting into that area, right? I mean, yeah. you don't know when. And is it attrition? Is it just you? You just finally run into the wrong hit. I mean, you know, Henry's been used so much going back to his high school days. His college days, he's just taken so much pounding. He's a physical runner, of course. We know he doesn't do a lot in the receiving game. He makes me kind of nervous. Now, granted, you could talk down any anybody in fantasy, right? I mean, you want to talk down Jonathan Taylor? We don't know who their quarterback is. It sounds like Carson Wentz might be on the way out. He had an up-and-down season. Remember, for about well, a third of the season, the Colts didn't even want to really lean on Taylor, and then they finally got over that. But um, you can talk down anybody in fantasy, but... I'm going to be proactive on Cooper Cup next year, and I, and I know even in a regression season, even no nobody can match what he just did. But uh, if there was a way to cover him, if they if teams had a way to stop Cooper Cup, we would have seen it. I, and we're in a golden age, right? We're in we're a time where Debo Samuel had all that rushing production. The Cordell Patterson, what a wonderful story that was, right? I think the Bengals are going to realize that Jamar Chase needs to touch the ball a lot more as a runner. He only had seven carries in the regular season. He had six in the playoffs. And I realize sometimes it's just a sideways pass that gets scored as a run. It's really more of a passing play. But I, I think they've screwed up. If they don't have like 125 or 150 or 200 rushing yards for Chase next year, I think they missed the opportunity. Again, the Rams season, their Super Bowl win, when it push came to shove on fourth down, they handed the ball to Cooper Cup. That's a trend in the NFL that I think is only going to, we're going to get more prevalent where, just to, to throw the ball to your special receiver, that's great. But why not hand it off to him? Why not find more creative ways to get these guys involved and you know make Matt Harmon do more work with his reception <laughs> perception? You know, uh, I think that's just the trend that's going to keep expanding as the college, as the concepts in the college game become more prevalent in the pro game as well. Well, and you have these creative 
playmakers that are coming from the Shanahan McVay coaching tree, Zach Taylor, obviously chief among them. Right. Uh, so it seems incredibly likely for that to occur. I like that you mentioned, you know, where my, my next thought was the Bengals receivers. We are all completely and rightfully so enamored with and dazzled by Cooper cups performance last night and throughout the season. And the OBJ story is getting a ton of airtime as well, but Yes, let's talk about Jamar Chase and let's talk about T. Higgins. Interestingly, the Bengals had the number one most efficient supporting cast. So the Joe Burrow and the Bengals had the highest supporting cast efficiency of any other offense in the league. The Rams, in fact, were offense number seven in terms of supporting cast efficiency. And I know part of that had to do with Woods going out early and finding rhythm with OBJ. But I do think, you know, Jamar Chase is special. Where I'm, I am, in fact, he was the player, Jason Klobaka, our, our, our manager, asked us to uh, write about which player we were most excited to draft next season. And this was a couple of weeks ago, maybe even six weeks ago by now. And I said, Jamar Chase, T Higgins was the receiver to bet on in this game. I mean, he had himself a monster, monster game, uh, converting four of seven for a hundred yards and two touchdowns. Not a bad day at the office at all. In fact, more yardage than cup. So it, I, I feel, I feel like T Higgins might be the best discount in fantasy drafts next year because everyone's going to be chasing chase and we already talked about cup so if i can still get the number two in the bengals offense can he possibly fall to the third round that's not going to happen right it could i mean yeah he just turned 23 higgins did in the middle of january and and one of the reasons that i don't want to go off on another p ryan rant but one of the reasons why that was so odd when he got used is because the Bengals all season has had a, they've had a very narrow concentration of where the ball goes. It's been Mixon, it's been Chase, it's been Higgins, and then they've sprinkled in Tyler Boyd and Uzuma, you know, when available, and that's it. They don't they don't fool around with with halfback with uh, fullbacks. They don't fool around with second tight ends. They don't fool around with fourth receivers. They primary they say who are our main guys. They're the guys getting the ball, and that's why Higgins. Some people might say, well, why would you draft a receiver in the third round when he's not the ostensibly not the number one on his team? But because this tree is so narrow, because the quarterback play is, is going to be so high, because the offensive line it can only get better, yeah, I think Higgins is the third round pick. And again, he's 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 23 freaking years old. You know, he was the early second round pick, which uh, the way receivers are drafted, that's like kind of like what a first round pick used to feel like. I feel like Aaron Rodgers must hate watching the Bengals because he must see a player like T. Higgins and be like, he should be on my team. I should be throwing it should be Devonte Adams and T. Higgins, not not Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, you know, because the we, the Packers. No disrespect to guys like Lazard and, and MVS, but man, do they really need a T. Higgins type of player on that offense? And instead, they've drafted things like Jordan Love. You know, I don't want to call him a thing. I mean, players like Jordan Love, but you know, I don't really understand that. I'll never understand the way the Packers draft. But you, you know, we saw. Peyton Manning's career, right? He inherited uh, the Colts team that already had Falk and already had Harrison. But what did they do? They drafted Reggie Wayne first round. They drafted Dallas Clark. They drafted Anthony Gonzalez, who didn't pan out. They drafted Joseph Adai. They drafted Edger and James. They constantly stocked the fridge for him. And again, the Bengals' fridge is stocked. You know, they had Higgins. 
already. They they went after Chase. I thought the lineman was maybe the way to go because that, that's how highly I think of Higgins. But now I'm, I'm just so thrilled that the LSU connection of Burrow and Chase is going to play for the next five, eight, ten years. Um, you know, draft the way to be great in the NFL for a long period of time is to have continuity on offense, to have skill players, to have the quarterback situation solved. The Bengals have this. The irony here is I'm not convinced that Zach Taylor is really a great coach. We'll see about that, but I'm convinced on this offense. The the only reason I'm not going to say they're going to be some AFC juggernaut is because I I have to respect the chiefs. I have to respect the bills. The chargers are certainly set up to be very, very good for a long time. Baltimore's infrastructure, a lot of things went wrong with Baltimore in the second half of the year, but they still have a lot of pieces that I like. So I have to respect all those types of things. Um, and, you know, the Titans still have a pretty good team too, although you know, they're getting near ages we have to worry about, guys. I mean, I, I don't know how much Julio has left. Tannehill's on the back nine of his career. I said I was nervous to draft Henry, but the, the only reason I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, the Bengals are going to go in three or four Super Bowls is just because, I, you know, Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, they're all in this conference too. We'll see where Deshaun Watson ends up. But uh, this offense, I will draft. You, you mentioned Chase being the player you were most excited to draft. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have shares in the Bengals offense next year. I don't know what players it's gonna be, but I'm gonna have I'm gonna be I think overweight on Burrow. I'm gonna be open to Mixon. Uh, you're gonna have to fight everybody for Jamar Chase. I'll I'll be in there elbowing, and I'm certainly gonna have a lot of T Higgins in two. I feel like it's a more popular, like a sexier comp to the Chris Godwin, Mike Evans situation that the that I the like Bucks that. had. You know, yeah, I, I, I like feel like, we, and we're going to have to treat it that way, right? Like there are going to be some days where T Higgins maybe only, you know, draws five targets and he catches three of them, but 70 yards and a touchdown ain't bad <laughs> in a week. And there's going to be other days where like it's Jamar Chase goes off. And I feel like that is what we need to, when we draft those players proactively to use a word, that is what we need to be expecting in return. Let me say one more thing about the Bengals. There were times where they're, pass rate was below what would be expected in neutral game scripts. And that spoke to, I think, worrying about the offensive line. If they ever got to even an average offensive line, let alone a plus offensive line, they could come out and say, you know what, we're throwing it 45 or 50 times today. Good luck. Good luck covering these guys. They couldn't even throw the ball proactively for half the year or two thirds of the year because they didn't want to get Burrow killed, which they kind of did anyway. Anyway, (laughs) imagine if imagine if that's no longer an issue. You know, because there there were games. You, you think back to the Manning and Brady and stuff. There were times where the, where the Patriots were in shotgun the whole day and just said, well, "Yeah, we're throwing it fifty three times. Good luck." Peyton Manning had plenty of games and seasons like that. Where yeah, I'm throwing it. You know, Drew Brees, we're throwing it seven hundred times this year, and you can't stop it. If the Bengals get an offensive line that can protect the protect Burrow, man, I, I don't know how you cover all these guys. So you're right. A- assuming those tweaks are made successfully, right? That's a little bit of a leap, but let's let's do it. Let's let's assume that the front office can make that happen and are, and are motivated to make that happen. Now, Joe Burrow, you said he was the QB eight overall at the end of 2021. Where are you drafting him? Does he sneak up ahead of, let's say Kyler Murray? For sure. Well, this is so much to unpack with Murray, right? I mean, Hopkins. Is I don't want to talk nine. about the social. Murray didn't want to run this year. You know, I I'm still not sure Kingsbury's a good coach because the thing was, even though I'm still a believer in Murray as a talent, I'd rather play with the Bengals than than the Cardinals as far as the pieces of help that he has. I, I think there's more there's a better infrastructure in Cincinnati. So Kyler Murray was like drafted QB three. Oh, most I'm I'm gonna guess that was his ADP heading into 2021 because of the assumed rushing, right? So you would put Joe Burrow then like inside your top five ranking for 2022? five or six somewhere. I mean, him yeah. and Prescott would be a tough call. 
Um, you could certainly Allen has to be above him. I think Mahomes has to be above him, although I probably won't draft Mahomes where he goes. Burrow, I, I would guess Burrow would be five or six for me right now. Okay. There's gonna be some there's gonna be some shuffling, obviously. Quarterbacks is gonna be fascinating. Massive upheaval this season within the most important position in the game. So that, that's gonna and obviously the dominoes will fall from there. Um, since we talked about Kyler Murray, let's just touch on one last thing. Super Bowl 57 will be played in Phoenix. We just saw, which is wild, in back-to-back years, a team win the Super Bowl at their home stadium, something that seemed completely um, like a complete anomaly last year. <laughs> I'm interested to see, actually, how the odds open on the Cardinals, if that uh, narrative is affecting the odds at all. But Kyler Murray looks like he's distancing himself from Arizona. Any thoughts on that situation? Or are you swayed at all by, you know, these past two revelations almost? I mean, we've gone to off seasons um, where we don't know where a quarterback and an organization sit, right? I mean, we had that whole endless Packers, Aaron Rodgers, will they, won't they? what's going on situation last year. I mean, we, we had to sweat up for a few months, you know, into magazine season, into early mock draft season, into early best ball season. What do you do with Aaron Rodgers? And by proxy, what do you do with Devontae Adams? So we're going to have to deal with all that again, um, which I'm honestly not looking forward to, but it's, it's part of it. I, I think Murray feels scapegoated by uh, Arizona, the way they went out in the playoffs. And I, I think he's like, I think he just wants to know. He, he just wants a certain amount of commitment or a certain amount of just organizational support. He obviously has leverage because he's a, he's a baseball player and um, he, he's got enough skill to, it's, it's not just, you know, kind of a, a fake, you know, faint for him to play. I mean, he could legitimately be a major league prospect if he wanted to be, but I think they'll get it figured out. It's just a matter of, it's an emotional game. And whenever you lose, you know, one team wins the championship and everybody else goes home with the story and goes home with some frustration of what got away, you know, the, the play that got away, the game that got away, the the injury that, that changed the season, whatever. I think it's just a matter of that the Cardinals just need to, to reassure Murray that they have, they have the support that he needs and, and that this is a long-term solution for him and that they can be, I mean, look, they went to the playoffs. I mean, they were the last team to lose in the NFL. They had a successful season. It just doesn't feel like it because of the way it ended. And I know Murray yeah. was hurt for a decent chunk of the year. He missed some games, didn't want to run as proactively, but it's you know, that. I think so this could all wait. be fixed. I want to narrow in on that though, because a year ago when we were doing Super Bowl interviews remotely, I interviewed Murray uh, ahead of the draft over Super Bowl week last year. And I asked him, you know, here's where here's where your team is picking in the draft, which is, you know, two months away from right now. What do you want? And I kind of expected him to say, oh, I want these guys resigned so we could do this. And, you know, there were some outstanding contracts and some free agency issues. And he, without blinking, said, I would like to be protected. I want protection. He said it twice. Did not blink. And when he gets hurt again this season – and we have talked endlessly about his size coming into the league, comparing him to the uh, you know other quarterbacks in the league. I feel like this. I feel like Kyler believes that he is not being given the best opportunity to win because he is not being properly protected, and they're not investing in the trenches enough. Yeah. So you know the the right free agency signing or the right first round draft pick could could maybe 
allay those fears. And, you know, I, I think this, I think they'll get this fixed out. They're, they're in a, a rough patch right now. And I, and I know obviously, you know, Murray scrubbed his social media and doesn't want to admit these in Arizona Cardinal right now, but I think they'll get it worked out. But that said, not knowing how proactively he's going to run next year, that makes me very nervous to draft Murray. I think I'm going to be underweight on him in my, my final portfolio. It's going to be fascinating. Um, Wow. Always is NFL twelve months a year, as you uh, know. Is. Yeah, I know. People are like, "So, what do you do next?" And I was like, "Um, what do you mean? What do I do next?" <laughs> like the draft. Well, the draft is coming up. We've got free agency. Free We've got the combine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no 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 days off. To quote the great Bill Belichick. Speaking of Bill Belichick, let's talk about legacies. Let's end the show with some legacies. We talked about Cooper Cup probably earning himself a, a yellow jacket. Based on the 2021 campaign, uh, Matt Stafford probably also, Frank Schwab certainly believes, at least your buddy, my buddy, our colleague, that this win will secure uh, Matt Stafford a place in the Hall of Fame. Aaron Donald, forget the Hall of Fame, he's going. First ballot. Best defensive player of all time? That's part of it. That might, I think that, that, that deserves some conversation. I think he's trending into that conversation, but I, I'm still... Lawrence Taylor uh, for me, Reggie White, Bruce Smith of uh, of Buffalo was outstanding. I, I still think Lawrence Taylor is the best defensive player I've ever seen. Uh, I think I think Donald has some run to be in that conversation. You're right; he's Donald is already in the Hall of Fame. Stafford and Cup just need to maintain their level of production. They'll go. Stafford will go if he just has four or five more productive seasons, and even if they don't, you know, amount to much in the playoffs because he did win a championship. A cup couple need to do more to do more too, but he can always point to what I think, and I think a lot of people will recognize as the best receiving year year of all time when you factor in all the games involved. I'm willing to have the Donald conversation at some point. I'm not there yet. Lawrence Taylor for me is still I, I have no hesitation. He's the best defensive player I've ever seen. I mean, this is not right, but Richard Dent will always have a, a spot in my heart. Well, that eighty-five Bears. You want to talk? You want to make Kabaka happy? You want to make Andy Barons happy? Uh, <laughs> and I know you're you're a Bears girl too. You know, was there? Did any team have more swagger than the nineteen eighty-five Chicago Bears? They put out a song called "The Super Bowl Shuffle," which is deliciously dated and and awkward and hilarious and cocky. And then then they went out and beat my Patriots forty-six to ten. They spotted the Patriots a three-nothing lead. My friends were so disappointed with that game. I, I had friends of mine who actually went back to work. They worked at a pizza shop at <laughs> halftime. They're like, this game is so depressing. I want to go to work. They just went to work. Oh, God. Shout out. <laughs> Super Mike, Bowl Mike Shuffle, definitely better than Ram It. Um. <laughs> Ram It is so awful. It's great. <laughs> Another thing that Frank Schwab loves to talk about. Schwab wrote a piece on Ram It a few years ago. But, uh, Ram It is awful, but it's so awful it's good, right? I mean, it's like yeah. Dirty Dancing is so bad it's good. A Roadhouse hey. is so bad it's good. Whoa. Nobody puts Patrick baby in a court. Swayze. Uh, uh, I love Swayze. I, I, I love um, Youngblood. I love anything with Swayze I'm in. You know, um, Dirty Top Dancing Gun is, is so not- bad it's good. Horrible. I wrote a I wrote a, a paper in college about how uh, Francis Baby Hauser was our generation's, my generation's uh, female Holden Caulfield. But that is for the podcast you and I do about liter- literary analogies and their cinematic. When you want to do a three hour, when you want to do a three hour <laughs> Dirty Dancing podcast, I am in. I'm in. Okay. It is. It was ahead of its time. I mean, for sure. Baby for Hauser. Sure. I'll watch it anytime it's on. An econ major at Holyoke. How do we not talk about that? Anyway, yes, when you and I do the... Uh, and by the way, Liz, when I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. I want you oh. to know that. I mean, I'm done. That's it. That You just put baby in the corner. 
That's going to do it for this episode of a very interesting all over the place, but what a perfect way to end an incredible 2021 regular and postseason episode. Follow me on Twitter at Liz Loza underscore FF. Follow Scott at Scott underscore Pianowski. And while you're there, make sure you're following The Mothership at Yahoo Fantasy. Matt and Dalton will be back later in the week to kick off our off-season schedule. Yes, we get one of those, but until then, we're out. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Bye.